Hello and welcome to the Baby Giants Investing Podcast. Join us as we chat about the weird and wild world of small cap investing, all while searching for the precious few fast-growing businesses that have a shot at becoming industry giants. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Podcast guests and their clients may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome. Thanks, gents. Yeah, good to, good to be back. We had a week off in a way because we did recorded the Prometicus interview and yeah, I don't know, much happened in the last couple of weeks? You had, had much? Ah, <laughs> oh, a few things, you know, <laughs> not much. Classic timing. Take, take a week <laughs> off right as like the bank collapses start. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of a time like I was emceeing a friend's wedding and as I like flew down, we had like a stock it was Bellamy's actually massive like fall on the day I was supposed to be emceeing the wedding. It's like the one day I take off in like three years. <laughs> always the way. Um, always the way. I feel like I could have been more sympathetic to you at the time than I didn't realize that, mate. <laughs> could have given you a call. So we'll, we'll definitely get to all the news. Uh, maybe we start off with some good news, which may or may not be the, the, the moment. You know, this is, these are the moments you need good news, I guess. We really need um, good news. <laughs> but there's a, I mean, we've talked a lot about AI. There's like GPT-4 has just dropped. I mean, we feel that we're barely dealing with chat GPT-3. It's like even better. It takes up to 30,000 words. I had a bit of a play with that. Some of the other more interesting, more like improving the world stuff. I don't, we'll see what, what happens with AI. A single injection of stem cells slashes the risk of heart attack or stroke by 58%. We mentioned the novel weight loss drug that's actually working. What was that next one? A new kind of pill cut bad cholesterol, 60%. Bacteria. What was this one? Yeah, using bacteria to kill cancer. Hmm. Yeah. Stem cells are so exciting because they can be used not just to prolong life but to improve the quality of life for people who like have a problem like mm. yeah this was genetically engineered stuff. bacteria to eliminate tumors but um yeah basically i think you're seeing this way like all, almost all the good news that we're seeing or the really great news for me at the moment is um what we might call synthetic biology but i think that's a point claude it's like we talked about before it's not just lifespan but um health span people living healthy lives for a lot a lot longer and kind of reversing or limiting yeah. aging and as mentioned before, it dovetails into AI. It's hard to get away from it because SynBio is, and the advances made there are very much enabled by by some of these models. So it's mm. sort of like, yeah, they they there's a there's quite a bit of overlap in that Venn diagram. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, have you guys have you guys been playing much with GPT? By the way, I just started actually trying to really use it and getting more elite with the prompts and stuff. I'm, Claude, I'm you were still tight. I'm it, too eh? tight to pay for it. At this yeah, point. I just paid for it. I just trying it out for a month. GPT four, but. Oh, so you have to. So you can pay for GPT four, can't you? Yeah, you can pay for GPT four. You get like it's still th- bottleneck throttled or whatever. Like you get a certain number of prompts a day for GPT four, and the you can still use GPT three for free. But you just there's like when it's busy, they like cut you off. I think right. I don't know if you guys yeah. ever encounter that. I've used the GPT three thing a little bit. Not found it that amazing mm. for. You're a hard man to impress, Claude. Yeah, yeah he's, you're a hard man to he's impress. He's the late stage of the of the adoption curve. I, for that. I can imagine yeah, exactly. you logging on to, to ask you're Jeeves. Way earlier in the you're way earlier in the do- adoption curve than me, both of you, but especially you, Andrew. Like, You've just logged on to the internet in 1998 and goes, "This is rubbish," and, and, and admittedly, it was back then. They are, well, it's yeah. really crazy, GPT-4. Like, I mean, just the reading the white paper, you can't access all of these features yet, but you like show it, like it, it, can, it can take images now too and like tell you exactly what's going on in the images. It's passing almost every SAT test, like the bar exam. Can you exam. like upload documents to it? 
Yeah, you can. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You I think I'm going to try that out. I'm going to pay it and try that out. So how do I do that, Matt? Is that the same no, you can't upload do- no, you can't upload documents yet to that one in the oh, white paper. They're feeding it. I want the so. thing that mm. I can upload the document and it summarizes it for me. Yeah, yeah, man. You can do that with I think Bing and Microsoft. I think pretty sure you can do that already. Yeah. Right. So Bing is actually powered by GPT-4. It's come out, the new the chat engine there. So you can kind of get a free access to it just by mm. downloading Microsoft Edge and using it a couple of times. You have like eight, eight shots a day or something with it, I think, on the chat side. So mm. it's all throttle because it's all expensive, as we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, actually, just on that, Claude, I, heard a interest, I read an interesting take. I think it was from Arda Capital. But it was basically talking about how this whole like search thing that Microsoft's going after search, which is basically a head fake that they don't really care that much about search, like it won't move the needle. Really, they just they, they kind of want to make Google dance and like scare them. But the big opportunity is what Microsoft is doing in, in all of the like office products, basically. So like Azure and Office. I don't know if you guys saw the demo for this. This was actually really mind blown for me. There's like a 30 minute video of it, of chat of like, it's, not, it's, it's basically a LLM model, um, so an AI for everything that you do in Excel, Office, Word, and it's, it uses all the data of everything you have in there. So because if you go fully over to Microsoft, you would have all of your Teams meetings in there, you'd have all of your files, databases. You can ask it like a question about the company. It'll tell you like, it'll answer it like brilliantly it was just as like a crazy demo of how much you could create like i'd like to create a powerpoint for this and like creates this beautiful elaborate powerpoint you can just like you know write sentences to it to change everything that was actually one of the most i think that'll be super um, if that actually comes out it'll boost productivity massively i mm. do think that the obvious thing to do though is to pay for this thing and to start writing prompts like i'm going to teach my kid how to write prompts yeah, yeah, I think that's true. I think writing, you get radically different results knowing how to write prompts. I won't have to answer Pokemon questions anymore. <laughs> Definitely not. But they need to be like sl- like safe sandboxes for these kind of things as well. Yeah, you don't want him to ask every question you mean? Like you don't want kids kids in there? Or? Yeah, this is a whole new yeah. topic is, which, we'll yeah, yeah. Have to, which we'll have to discuss totally. at some point is how do you introduce technology to kids because you want them to be at front of it like, it was great an advantage, you know, to, to grow up with a 1995 Windows <laughs> computer, you know, in the in the family room or whatever. And I feel like I learned more coding as like a 12 year old or whatever than I did for a huge chunk of my early adulthood. What do you reckon, Andrew? You're chuckling. I, I was just smiling because I reminded me there was an, a joke ad. I'm pretty sure it was a joke ad, but who can tell these days? For a kill switch engineer, and your job is to sit next to the PowerPoint with a bucket oh, yeah. of water and and and. What we do is we give you a code word. So if, if things if things get real, uh, your job is to is to pull the plug, and if that doesn't work, to throw water all over it. So I thought that's it's again it's sort of funny. I was like, yeah, maybe not a bad idea. Maybe not a bad idea. There was actually a research paper. Thankfully, it didn't work. Where they gave the GPT money to try and like make more money to then spin up more servers to like improve itself. And people yeah. are like, whoa, what are you doing? Like, yeah, yeah. It didn't really work. Like they, they're like, we need to continue the research on this. But it's like, okay. I think I think for me, the coding side of things, now that you mentioned, is just, I mentioned it before, but I think that's really wild. When I think it was like two hours after GPT-4 had been released to the public, people were like uh, making Doom and, and Pong clones and stuff, like literally in half an hour. It's like, write it up for me. Actually, can you change this? compile it and publish it and it just 
boom, and it was, you know, Snake. And, okay, it's it's not Fortnite or something like that, but it's just the fact that you can do that without any coding skills in literally less than an hour is pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, so that's a Microsoft product, right, Copilot from that. They bought GitHub, trained it on that, and they have that. And that's what that Copilot is what they're rolling out to everything in Microsoft, basically. Wait, they bought what, did you say? GitHub, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah, so they did. And so, yeah, they trained Copilot on that. I confused between GitHub and GitLab. Sorry about that. Yeah, and so they trained on that. And yeah, 50, 50% of, I think 50% of code being written is being written by Copilot mm. currently. Like it's wow. just, it's massive. Mm. Anyway, maybe we should move on to the other what big news. What else happened? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to give an, a, a, an intro, Andrew? You, we've covered banking quite a bit on here. Like last year, I was looking at this. We've had a few apps on bank runs, like fractional reserve banking. I feel like we were talking about this like six months before a lot of folks were uh, thinking about it. But yeah, maybe give us mm. an overview. You, you're, uh, you're you're pretty well versed in this stuff. What what happened? Because we haven't covered anything, you know, from yeah. Silicon Valley Bank. Well, the first thing to say is that it's it's a fast evolving situation. So even by the time be, this goes, <laughs> you don't want to be embarrassed when we publish on Friday. <laughs> yeah. Who knows what's going to happen? But the long and the short of it is, I think the main event was with Silicon Valley Bank, and it wasn't so much a solvency issue, but a liquidity issue. So there was a bit of rumor spreading around that there wasn't enough cash on hand to meet withdrawals. Some of the big VC funds sort of sent memos and stuff around saying to their to their portfolio companies, hey, get your money out. And it kind of sort of feeds on it on itself. And so, I mean, the whole system rests on trust, right? It's just I'm 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 really not a conspiracy theorist. It's just I'm just saying fact here. There's just <laughs> there's more money. A deposit is just a low interest rate loan to the bank, right? And they they lend all that out. So it's just it's just not at the bank. And that's cool. That's normal. In fact, fractional reserve banking is actually a pretty good thing in a lot of ways. It it helps it helps take money from savers and put it into the hands of entrepreneurs. It, you know, it's 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 got its advantages. But if trust ever goes and people all want their money out, it's just it's just simply not there. So there is sort of on there is some money there. But at a point, you you need to start liquidating some assets to sort of meet those meet that demand. Now, what Silicon Valley Bank did, in fact, what a lot of banks have done, is that they have parked a lot of their money into the safest, quote unquote, safest uh, asset on earth, which is U.S. Treasuries. The trouble is with those is that interest rates have gone from basically zero to a lot more, and. It doesn't, you know, it, the maths kind is a bit counterintuitive, but but that interest rate move from the Fed has basically meant that a lot of these T-bills have dropped in value by 40% in the space of a year. So to meet that demand, they had to sell these things at a loss. It's not actually that apparent on the balance sheet because you have sort of accounting rules. The one is sort of sort of at call. So we sort of, which we mark to market that as, as the value of these bonds change. And then there's HTM held to maturity, which basically means we just hold it at face value because we've got no intention of liquidating it. So it doesn't really matter because it's the US government. We'll get the face value back in, in three, five, 10 years, some, whatever, whatever the, the maturity profile is. But when when this sort of starts happening and you are forced to sort of sell these things, or however you want to treat it on an accounting basis is one thing, but the reality is that these losses were were very, very real. And it just fed on itself very, very, very rapidly. And so the Fed and the FDIC had to sort of step in and they, they every deposit is guaranteed up to 250K. They basically said, no, it's it's all guaranteed. And they also said actually We'll let you borrow against your bond portfolio at par. So it doesn't really matter what the market value is. 
for every $100 you've got in nominal value, we'll, we'll let you lend against that, which a lot of banks have, have taken advantage of. And what's peculiar about that is it's kind of got the Fed sort of trying to do two things at once, which are working in opposition to each other. On one hand, there's this massive inflation crisis that everyone's trying to deal with. So we're trying to suck a bit of liquidity and out, out of the system and it, you know, by increasing interest rates. At the same time, we're flooding it with, with, with more liquidity. So it's and in the, in the kind of it's it's a devil's bargain, right? You kind of have to do something as, as as unappealing as it may be from a theoretical perspective. If you don't, there's just the contagion risk here. So what happens? So oh, they're in trouble. Oh my gosh, I've got money over here. Maybe I should take that out or at least take it down to the 250k limit. And it just it just feeds on itself. The other issue with it as well is that this isn't just, I mean, companies have to make payroll and 250K doesn't even cover a weekly payroll for a lot of companies. There's something like, I don't know, 60,000 or something companies in, in California that were maybe, as this was unfolding the weekend before last, was we will not be able to meet sort of payroll. So it's, and, and then you've got this situation now where it's kind of like, I imagine that banks are a lot more reluctant to kind of lend. This is always the art and skill of banking is you've got to match maturities. You, 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 you borrow short, you lend long. And, and in this kind of environment, things are moving very quickly. Do I want to take this money that I have that I've borrowed from depositors and, and put this into something that might take 10 years, 20 years, 30 years in the case of a mortgage to pay back? Because if anything goes wrong in the meantime, I can't liquidate those mortgages. I can't, I can't get my money back. So there's, there's a bit of a risk around all of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I think that's a great, just, a great summary. Just one, one point there, like when you mean you can't liquidate the mortgages, isn't the point of a mortgage that it has some physical asset backing it? Oh, okay. So in theory, you well, you know, you, people have signed a contract saying I will borrow. I'm not in breach of my part of the contract. I'm paying my my monthly, weekly mortgage repayments. You can't just rug pull me <laughs> because you've gotten into trouble. I guess you can sell the loan book, but again, this all rests on. I understand what you meant. Now. On confidence, you know. So it's it's sort of it's a bit of an issue, and the the question is. Is this an isolated case? Now, bear in mind that Silicon Valley Bank was the 16th largest bank at the time in the US, and this is the second largest bank failure in history. Right? So this is no small, it's no small deal. And and of course, everyone has looked at every other regional bank on, hmm. And again, maybe not necessarily founded, well founded, but it doesn't matter if if that's what people are thinking. Here's the other, here's the other interesting fact. You've got I don't know, you're a company, you've got $10 million um, in cash. You need a little bit for the day-to-day, but you're sort of looking at your bank and going, wait a sec, I'm getting like bugger all interest here. You guys are paying me nothing for this. I can take this out and I can put it into a money market fund, which is not only safer because it's it's directly invested into US treasuries themselves, but I'm getting a higher rate of interest. So here's the other interesting dynamic that's playing out. If the Fed increases interest rates, and by the time this goes live, we'll we'll know exactly what they've done. But the call is for another 25 basis point interest interest rate increase here. That is going to become an even more compelling proposition for those who are seeking yield that that have cash. Why am I leaving it at the bank? Not only am I all have I got all these concerns over whether or not I'll be able to get my money, but even even if I can, why am I why am I leaving it here when I can get a safer Higher yielding uh, return over there. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of yeah. it's it's fascinating. Well, definitely. And I guess the next point is though is like so what you're describing is you know there's this scenario where people are suddenly very unhappy with their 
default savings account or whatever that yields 0% or 1% or something. I'm like, I'm sure heaps of our listeners have probably in the last six months moved accounts. So like, you know, I certainly shuffled money between accounts in the last six months. Uh, it's just Perfectly just, you know, rational thing like to do. My, it, when everything was like essentially less than 1%, like I just, the easiest practical one is, you know, my Combank savers or whatever. And that had savers. a pretty bad, or like, <laughs> it's like, it was super low. It's like 1% interest rate or whatever. I know. The, and, the but then after a while, suddenly it's like, oh, this is 1%, but there's other ones that are 4%. So... Yeah, yeah, of course I'm going to It's move. not half a percent extra, right? Like, Yeah, exactly. You, you, so, you know, I mean, you're not an idiot and people aren't idiots. Like you will for the most part. But then so, the know. other thing, I guess like which is and my main thing that I wanted to sort of say is that so what are, and this will be a, you know, a great segue for you at some point, Andrew, <laughs> but uh, what are the, so in this scenario where the banks are not looking great and it's slightly different in, in the US and in Australia, I think a big difference maybe we could talk about at some point is the fixed mortgages for 30 years versus fixed for a couple of years. Uh, So I I wonder about that. But either way, then the second thing I'd like to discuss and that we can think about is what are the safe havens and and some of those, uh, what might some of those be? Obviously, Bitcoin, Andrew, I'm expecting a strong rant from you about that. (laughs) I'm going to hold myself back. I I can be tempted into gold from time to time. And and also, is Bitcoin acting a bit like gold now? That's another interesting question, which it seems to me the answer is yes. And uh, then on top of that- Sorry, Claude. No, you go, Matt. Oh, no, I just want to dig in just a bit more on Silicon Valley Bank, if that's right. Yeah, let's do it. Because I think, so what's stunning about it is the speed that it happened. And I think it like it also points to the unique nature of the type of customers they have, being that they're VCs who are highly mimetic. They all copy each other, basically. And so you had on Tuesday, he was present, the CEO of that bank was presenting at a banking conference, not asked at all about any problems with the bank, like no concerns about liquidity. On Wednesday, they had to raise some capital and people associated them with another bank that was actually in trouble at that time and so people just thought okay they're in trouble on thursday 42 billion dollars was withdrawn from the bank like it's just unheard of how fast that spread basically all the vcs told all of their funds to like withdrew themselves and then told all of their companies to withdraw that is creating a bank run basically like you can say like each individual actor I think can be rational to a point. I wouldn't be tweeting like, oh, sorry to see it go at the same time that I'm telling all my people to withdraw. But that's like a stunning difference. And I think that's probably the biggest difference to what we've seen before. The actual bank had a bit of a shortfall, but like I've seen some estimates that even if they paid out, they sold off everything in a rush mm. and paid everyone out, they probably would have got 95 cents on the dollar for those uninsured yeah. deposits. Yeah. But I think the you know FDIC kind of wisely stepped in and said, we're just going to make everyone completely whole just to stop it. You know, people even worrying and waiting for that. Which is interesting thing right because in a way it has there's unintended consequences here so my rule of thumb here is when a bank ceo comes out and says we're fine there's nothing to worry about that's the time that you panic you know when the president is in holding news conference and saying the financial system is sound like what i i i that was my working assumption until you said that you know so it's kind of like there's it's just it, well, I don't want it, us to do this as well. Like, where I don't want to like be like, "Hey guys, it's a bank run." You know? What no, I mean? no, 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 no. I'm no, happy no. to talk about the other places you can put money. Or I'll get, I'll get to that. Value, I'll get but. to that. But I just, it's, it's the. I think you students of game theory, this will all make just perfect sense. You know, it's sort of like it's, it's the uh, prisoner's dilemma, really, writ large. So, so like, if we're all okay, if we, everyone, let's just not do this, and we'll be okay. But it only takes one person going, yeah, screw you guys, I'm getting the hell out. I'm like, oh, he's getting out. I'm going to get out too. It just, it, it, that's, that's the dilemma. And as Matt 
rightly points out in the old days, not even having to go back that far, I had to go down to the bank. I had to wait in line. I had to wait until the bank was open. I had to get a check and then I had to walk to the other bank and deposit it. So, I mean, the bank runs can happen very quickly. In the digital age, when I pull my phone out at 11.32 on a Sunday night and hit withdraw, it happens straight away. Do you know? Yeah. So, it's, it's and, that. That's exactly is, it. That's, that's 100%. But also, not just that. It's like those people are tweeting on Twitter, hey, it's a bank run, like everybody get your money out. And also, we already know that foreign governments have, you know, aggressive expenditure where they pay for bot networks and whatever so that they can amplify messages that are useful to them. So, we have a genuine situation where you have a few self-serving VCs that are like trying to, for the fun of it, basically create a, a bank run. And then you have them being amplified like hand in hand with a whole bunch of malicious actors who are like, yes, there's a political purpose to causing this. And at the same time, then you have a whole bunch of people that have invested a lot of money in Bitcoin and now have an incentive to also cause a bank run and say, hey, there is a destabilized financial system, so you should buy Bitcoin. And these things create a situation where you have multiple people from different angles, but also like you have Bitcoin people and you also have bad actor people that want to create, uh, like, which I mean, like foreign governments trying to destabilize. Some people just want to watch the world burn as, uh, yeah, as, as that, a Batman movie taught me. Well, exactly. And also it can be, you know, anyway, the, the point is that. I, I, yeah, I, I hear your point. I hear your point. And there's a believe lot of you me, believe you me, Claude, I, I've got a lot to say when it comes to the B word. But before we get to that, I actually, I'll push back on that a little bit. And the analogy I saw is if a bridge collapses, is it the people who are walking on it that are to blame? So let's say you've got all these bad actors with with ulterior motives, selfish motives. And let's say that's true. And there's there's definitely unquestionably truth for that. But but the fact that they could says something about the underlying stability, right, of the system. So if if every, you know, it, it's it's yes, they had a part to play in all of that, but the fact that they could do that. I mean, who's to blame here, right? Like, it's kind of- The person that do. The fact that someone can do a murder is not the fault <laughs> of the person that someone murdered, right? Maybe like, the person it. that did the murder, we can all do things the whole time that are destructive, and it's always our fault if we do them. Let me just make the case, Andrew, because I know where you're going with this, and I think it'll segue well for what you're going to talk about. But maybe I'll just make the bull case for fractional reserve banking, which I've mentioned once before, but yep. now I think everyone's actually thinking about it. I think fractional reserve banking is like one of the great unlocks that allowed the last few hundred years of massive progress. Like, if you look at history, for most of human history, you know, we were basically, you know, scratch, scratching around in the dirt to a degree. Like there was feudal systems, people, you know, were impoverished. There was no science, like scientific theory and fractional reserve banking and a couple other things are like the unlocks that allowed that to happen. And the reason is it frees up all of this investment. So you don't need to already be rich or already have something to get a loan. You can get a loan, you know, basically it frees up vast amounts of capital for productive loans when it goes well. And if it goes badly, like 2008, unproductive loans like it can't it not not you know it can can go badly on but that that amplifier is just so huge it's like we don't think about we've told on this before people don't realize where money comes from almost all money is created by these banks they create that commercial money. banks commercial banks yeah 
Commonwealth Bank. That, that's who creates almost all the money in Australia. It's not the central bank printing mm. money. That's a meme. Um, they do that does happen somewhat, but it's like maybe in, 80, 20, even over the last. Yeah, indirectly. But you're hundred percent right, mate. Yeah. yeah, and the central bank can create like it's possible, but that's 90 percent of what's been created over even during this period of money printing is not from them. Yeah, and these these banks. This is it's also quite it's a lot more decentralized in some ways. Like these, like the local bank is making a decision about who should get a loan to start a new business or you know build a bridge or something. That's a decentralized decision. So there's a lot of good stuff that this has brought us. And I think it's one of the great unlocks of our society, basically. But it does rely on people not panicking at any time. And I think that, that my biggest challenge is like how it how it works in a world of social media where you just have that amplified effect. I think they probably need to go to something like full insurance and the banks pay for it, or at least a much higher insurance level to stop this threat of money sloshing. And just the last point I'd say is you can't have a bank run on every bank at once. Bank runs only affect Where are you going to put the money? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And this is actually a really big point though, because like people forget this so easily. When you take money and you buy something, you think like to you that money's gone. Like say that you bought that, took that money and bought Bitcoin. Your dollars haven't gone anywhere. You've taken your dollars and given them to a guy who had who's given you Bitcoin in exchange. Yeah. But those dollars, no, no money has left the, the system. Exactly, no exactly. money has left the system. And so that guy, the only way you can kind of pull something out of the bank is put it in, put in it under your mattress. And there's kind of limits that we don't want to put vast amounts of cash under our mattress. That's the only way that you can stop it being in a bank, basically, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Just as a public service, if you are hiding cash, do not do it under your mattress. <laughs> well, you should do it because now no one would think to look there because it's so... No. Trust me, yeah. the, the guy breaking into your house is going to look there. <laughs> That's true. Where do, where do you hide yours, Claude? Stop <laughs> uh, pulling for that one again. You wouldn't even know, man. You would have lost me it. I bet, you've got, I bet you've got a vast amount of cash buried in your the, backyard. Somewhere. The, most, the most effective way to hide something, forget where you've hidden it. <laughs> 100%. But yeah, I think that last point is important because there's a lot of talk at the moment, uh, like a lot of fear about the fact that there's these mark-to-market losses. And Mm. that's just, it's a timing thing, as Andrew really uh, well explained. But you can't have all of that be a problem at the same time. It only, it only, you can have it slosh from one to another and that it could affect regional banks because the money sloshes to the big banks. Yeah, that's Um, the risk. But Mm. yeah, that's the risk. It's not, it's not the whole system going down from this. It's just impossible for that to happen because you can't move the money anywhere. That's all in the system. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, I agree with I, I agree with all of that. But but this is this is where Twitter is useless, right? Because it's all binary. You know, it's like we have these issues and then some people jump all the way to we need to have full reserve banking. And I'm not on that camp. But there's there's a spectrum there. Interestingly enough, um, after the GFC a whole bunch of regulation was put in place to strengthen the system to ensure that there were bigger liquidity buffers. Trump, in all his uh, genius wisdom, rolled that back. Had he not, well, a lot of it back, had he not done that, the situation at Silicon Valley Bank probably would have been avoided. So for me, it's not a question of let's go back to some feudalistic system without frame. I'm not saying that, right? I know I know a lot of Bitcoiners still. I'm not saying that. But it but it, but there's different fractions that you can work with here. When you're when you're working on, you know, very small amounts of reserve requirements and and there's a lot of flexibility in what you can do with the deposits that you have, that's where the problem comes. Let's not get rid of fractional reserve banking, but let's ensure that there are limits on what you can do with the money. Let's ensure that you've you've got adequate capital buffers. And so you might sort of say, is, is 10% enough? I don't know. Is 20% enough? I don't know. We can get into that. The point is, is that you can have your cake and eat it too, right? You don't, just because 
you're a for fractional reserve banking. I don't think anyone would say that, oh, you only need 1% of tier one capital on, on your balance sheet. I mean, that's, that's insane. Where's the sweet spot? I don't know. But I would probably argue that stricter regulation and higher reserve requirements, as we learned <laughs> about 15 years ago, um, aren't a bad idea, aren't necessarily a, a bad idea. So I think there's a lot of nuance missing in the, in the online Twitter debate. And I agree with a lot of, of, what, of what you're saying there. Can, can, yeah, here's the other thing, right? As well, I, just, I have to put this in as well because I just think it's funny mentioning the GFC. Uh, I think it was a week or two before SVB collapsed, Moody's came out and gave it a AAA rating. <laughs> Like, you've got to go watch The Big Short again, right? Like, this is like, <laughs> my goodness. Would, can anyone look at these people with a straight face anymore? Good old Jim Cramer was like a month ago recommending recommending this. And I think he recommended Bear Stearns just before it went under as well. There are certain it's actors out there. It's kind of like, you know, the whole, <laughs> as I said, fool me once. Fool me 400 times. It's kind of, it's on you, man, like at, at, at this point. Um, Andy, the other I can't, thing- oh, sorry, go on. I was going to say, I'll segue you to talk about safety assets and, and give you a chance. I don't want to. Well, before we do, forward. because there's so much ground to cover here. Well, the, the, so the safety oh, no. You said you were going to limit yourself before this. Like, what He hasn't done it yet. Give him a I chance. haven't give even chance. started yet. Okay. So that, <laughs> He's just so let happy. Let me tell you of the marathon. Going going. Chapter it's coming. zero. It's coming. So Silicon Valley Bank is one thing. Credit Suisse is quite another. This is one of the 30 globally systemic important banks. And that, and that doesn't exist anymore. Like, right? So I'm trying to spread fe- fear, uncertainty and doubt about our like banking system. No, I'm just going to say facts. I'm not I'm not going to say pull your money. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just I'm just look, hey, fact. Right, fact. I got some facts Credit about Swiss. Bitcoin. You want to play that game? Yeah, I'll play it all day long, my friend. What is the favorite currency of illegal <laughs> arms dealers? <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Money for enemies, my friend. But well, I mean, I, we don't have to talk about Credit Suisse if you want, but I feel as though this conversation, it's going to be yeah. noticeably absent if yeah, we don't yeah, talk yeah. about Makes Credit Suisse. I, I, right? I was just kidding. I was just kidding. Go for it. So I don't know. I mean, do you guys want to... So, do you, do you guys want to talk? Give this, give us the outline. I've, I've, I've talked too much. Well, Some, I mean, I, domino, I haven't right? followed it. Yeah. So my, I mean, basically, it's been plagued for a long time. Like they kind of blame the social media storm of six months ago. I, you know, maybe social media once again. Um, back then, there wasn't really much issue, and then it's just become more of an issue recently. And then again, kind of a social media in panic. Saudi Arabia, the you know Saudi bank was on TV, and someone asked, "Would you put more money in?" And they said, "Absolutely not." It's like because we have a banking limit that prevents us from doing so. But like that mm. absolutely not get like spread and everyone freaks out. So the yeah, that, that's my read. It's like the equity value plummeted. And then over the weekend, UBS kind of bought it out for- Shotgun wedding. Yeah. <laughs> UBS, you know, someone, the Swiss National Central Bank pointed a gun at their head and said, we think you should do this. <laughs> Surely there would be people that like hedge funds that would see this comment that, you know, the already troubled Credit Suisse was- you know, not going to get any money or more money from Saudi Arabia. There'd be some of them be like, have a short position on CS or go and make a short position on CS and then like amplify that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, surely, like, there's, I'm not, mm. that's obviously unethical and probably illegal, but I bet you that sort of stuff happened. What's well, game? It's game theory. Again, like, it's just like, unless every single actor on the planet decides to play nice, it only takes one. And, you know, so I. <laughs> You, yeah, you, you, I guess you, if, if you want to live in a fantasy world where no one is ever going to do something reckless, then okay. But if I'm going to design a system, I probably want to have something that just like some some idiot hedge fund can't collapse the global financial system. It's probably a good idea. I feel like 
Yeah, I don't know. I feel like that this is a this is actually a problem that Bitcoin would face as well. It's like it's not you know there there are you Bitcoin gets exchanges hacked, you know, and people just wholesale lose it. Like I know that there's solutions to all that, and and you can store it this way and another, but that doesn't really cho- so solve the currency problem. Like if you have to have ten steps and cold wallets and blah 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 just to buy a coffee, it's not really going to work so well. So. You know, it's not just the. It's not just the. Like, I'm just like not, feeling sick. It's nauseous. What, it's what not are you just, talking about, it's man? Not it's not like you can spend a lot of time like smashing. You know, the banking system we have, and you're right. Like there are weaknesses to that, but there are weaknesses to any system. I haven't even look. Just for the record, I haven't mentioned it yet, right? Like you keep you keep assuming yeah, what I'm going to say like, and, making, and preempting like, a point here. You're really like, hey, our whole. You know, the, 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 the point you seem to be making is that the financial system we have is very, very flawed. And it seems like you're opening up the sort of argument to be like, and here's one I prepared earlier, a not flawed financial system. <laughs> Are you I think Andrew, much? I have to say, Andrew gets like, he, uh, as he just said, like he understands the value of fractional reserve banking a lot more than some extreme folks might. So maybe Andrew, do you want to just, now that we've covered credit yeah, do you want to just give a bit, give us, yeah, yeah. Well, not, I don't want to give. Pitch, I don't want to give the Bitcoin like, pitch because yeah. it's it's it, it's it's just too big a topic. I, I just think I think what is interesting about it is that if you had said if I travel back in time to a couple of weeks ago and said this kind of things is going to happen, it's a huge risk off event, particularly in financial uh, circles. And generally speaking, when that happens, it's not good for for Bitcoin, right? Or it hasn't been mm-hmm. in the past. It's been pretty high, highly correlated to risk assets. So my expectation was, as I was reading the headlines or something. Great, this is, this is going to be great for Bitcoin. Like not, and yet it's rallied like thirty percent in ten days. It's up seventy percent for the year. So there's there's a uh, potential. Who knows what happens tomorrow? But w- I think what's interesting is that potential decoupling, and that you've actually seen this as an option in terms of those seeking a return to safety. You made the comment offline, Matt, that that may have been exacerbated by the fact that the very people looking for this are tech bros in Silicon Valley who are more enamored with this kind of stuff. So maybe it wouldn't have happened if this was a crisis in Australia or somewhere else where adoption is very low. But that's, yes, that's the only point I want to make. Just to flesh that out. I think that's a really great point, Andrew, because this is like, there's different theses for investing in Bitcoin. And I think one of the, you know, maybe you can think of them as layers. Like the, it's, the idea is like, it's the new gold. If it's a new gold, you look at gold's like 20 times bigger market cap. Is it going to be a 50% share of gold? You know, maybe like gold comes down, it goes up. And that for me was kind of broken last year when it became such a risk asset, you know, when all the yeah. risk assets fell and it fell and it's like, well, it's not gold. But then this is, this is evidence, right? Mm. And I think the thing to keep in mind, gold and Bitcoin are both psychological assets. Like they, they, uh, I heard someone describe it as a, a hyperstition. Like they, they have their value because other people think they have value and um, it just that's depends true. on what everyone def- agrees for them to be. Although, although just to be fair, that's, that's the same with the US dollar, right? It's trust. It's trust. What do you want to trust? And I'm, I'm not, yeah. again, yeah. don't yes, get me, please don't, don't, don't preempt what I'm trying to say. I'm just making a statement of fact that, that, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not yeah, saying yeah. it's a bad thing, but the current system we have is trust is foundational to yes. that system. Yeah. It yeah, yeah. It's Absolutely. just different to other assets that produce like a, a farm or, you know, a business. Yeah, like sure. these are different types of assets. Sure, sure. Um, they are. Yep. And so that matters. Like if people think of it as a safe haven, that's basically all that matters. People think of gold as a safe haven and so therefore it is. And that yeah. people have thought that for 10,000 years. And, you know, is Bitcoin going to be the new one? I guess the, uh, yeah, just to flesh out what I was saying offline is there is one angle where it's like, Silicon Valley Bank represented all of the wealthiest people who most believe in crypto and Bitcoin. 
they all got really scared over the weekend um, two weekends ago that all their money was about to go and then they suddenly had access to all that money they needed to take it out of silicon valley bank and do something with it you know how many of those people decided i'm going to buy bitcoin and how much of the rally is due to that versus like a permanent shift i think that's where that's, that's what will kind of prove it over the next few months like is this yeah. and it just, maybe just the fact that that happened is enough right like it could create some momentum for that you know psychological view of it but yeah that i think that's just yeah but on the flip side you know it is it is very surprising if you were thinking of this like a few weeks ago my biggest thing like that i've been surprised with the resilience of it is um that it also doesn't earn interest in the traditional way that a bank account does so like i thought that rising interest rates alone would kind of push people away from mm. wanting to hold assets there but yeah anyway we'll see we'll see what happens yeah, I, I, I think all, all the points you're making are really good i think where things get confusing with all of this is that we look at it through the lens of a productive asset or we look at it through the lens of it's just it's measuring something different with with something that isn't appropriate so it's when you want to take a dcf view of gold Bitcoin, or it's like it's stupid. It's nonsensical. Like, it, of course it is. Like, it doesn't. It's, it's not appropriate. It's not fit for purpose. So you 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 can't look at it through that lens. And if you want to look at it through that lens, you're going to see insanity. And and if you want to see insanity, then then go ahead and do it that way. Yeah, no, but it's not. Of course not. It is as you're saying. Look, it's all psychological assets, right? Gold, currency, Bitcoin, etc. And you could. And I think the other things. There are other things that are like maybe part real assets, part psychological assets as well. Mm. So I would, I'm totally happy to be shot down on this. By like the way, a Picasso, to, right? What's a Picasso worth? Exactly. Yeah. You so know? like definitely. So one of the really big psychological assets would be trophies. So that mm-hmm. can be a trophy home mm-hmm. in, you know, at the top of Bronte Beach or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is probably more correlated with how much money do the people who compete for trophies have mm-hmm. than it would be, you know, how much does a, you know, a, a hot, a hot, house in some suburb you know painted black with no trees in in Mm. street (laughs) yeah and the yeah and and so that that would be that you could also i've heard an argument as well and which i don't think is ridiculous by the way that like some of those biggest companies in the world are kind of could be a partly a sociological asset where you might try and put your money there as a store of value if you are losing faith in you know whatever it's currently in uh which obviously is predominantly bank accounts, which people are obviously losing faith in uh, right now. And government bonds, again, a psychological asset, right? Because, well, it is it, it is and isn't, but it sort of is because it's, it's going to, you're going to get paid in that currency and you're relying on that government still being there and a government can definitely just be like, oh, new government, like... Yeah, I'd say, again, it's just like um, should be underlined by productive asset and it's paying interest. I guess that's like it's an intrinsic value thing. I kind of, during times of stress, like my... my personal way of like dealing with a market crisis is just focusing on productive assets and the cash flows that I expect them to produce. And that's like my North star. And that's again, not to take anything away from others that prefer like gold or other, you know, ways to store value. But that's kind of what I like to do is just, it, it just, de- I, it like strips out the psychology side to a significant degree for me mm. having to like think about it so much. So yeah. Mm. Yeah. No argument. I mean, it, it, different, they're just different things. And I just, I guess what frustrates me is that people just try to, a, 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 uh, paste over a, a framework that isn't appropriate. <laughs> well, I definitely think that the Bitcoin as gold kind of thesis has is looking way more like way more attractive now. And I have bought. Gold you just love a Momo, Claude. Bitcoin. You're a Momo dude. At that. Yeah, I, like, I, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that I'm not 
I'm not saying that I don't like Momo, I'm like, but I also am willing to like invest in things without the Momo as well. Yeah, like, I'm just teasing. And you, you, if you're always going to do only what's going up, then you're never going to have anything for long term at all, ever, basically, because everything goes down sometimes. Did, so did, I balance it. Did you guys see the Balaji bet? Yeah. So do you want to frame up what the bet was, Andrew? <laughs> so, uh, so someone tweeted. Let me just start there. So yeah. someone tweeted, I bet a million dollars that the US won't enter hyperinflation. And it was mm-hmm. a joke because the mm-hmm. joke is if you're right in this hyperinflation, the million dollars isn't worth very much. Yeah. And if I'm, if I'm right, then I win a million dollars. You know, yes. like it's a perfect bet. It's like win a million dollars or lose nothing. And Balaji, who's a big proponent of Bitcoin, basically said, I'll take you up on that bet. Is that... Yeah, he, yeah, he's a big VC, very wealthy person, very successful, got some interesting ideas. He's also been a shill for a bunch of crypto nonsense as well. So let's let's remember that. You know, now he, he seems all Bitcoin, but he's he's, he's got a past, right? So, mm. but he basically put it out there and said, "Yeah, I'll I'll take that." And his rationalization is, "It's oh, it's not about making money; it's about sending up the bit." The bit signal, he's called it. You know, it's like it's it's a call to arms. But mm. he's basically said it's not only that it'll get to a million dollars; it's that it'll get there in ninety days. Yeah, uh, like I'm bullish, but I'm not that <laughs> bullish. And by the way, if that does happen, this is this is something that even if you're a hardcore Bitcoin, you don't want to wish for this. This is the collapse of civilization. You want to buy some guns and some steel doors <laughs> in that scenario, right? Because like yeah. these things are going to get really real, but. But it's funny, you know, it, and and again, it's just this part of the this part of like the signal v noise kind of thing. There's mm. so much rubbish that's that's sort of out. I just I just mention it because it's it's a bit humorous. I heard one take which you definitely won't agree with, and I'm not sure I agree with it. But it was basically saying that he thought it was a bad thing that Balaji had set a time because it's it's kind of like um like Bitcoin's kind of like a religion. Like a lot of gold's kind of like a religion too. I don't mean that in a bad way, but like if you set a date on it, then it kind of when it doesn't happen, some of the followers are like, "Hey, what happened, man?" You know, yeah, like bad um, idea. Yeah, so, you know, may- maybe it's not. Maybe it's maybe it's productive enough. But Andrew, maybe we'll just uh, pivot onto a business that you've been that you met with recently. Do you want to chat? Just give us a chat through on Whisper, which I think we must have mentioned on the pod before. But um, I think you recently had the CFO on Strawman. Mm. You guys, you often do these like every week, basically. You've got someone on Strawman in an hour chat pretty much. Mm. Yeah. What were your takes? We were just chatting before the pod and you were dropping a few things that were kind of interesting to me. So, Yeah. So we spoke the CFO's Jenny Pilcher, sort of founded in 2001, about 20 years old, listed a few years ago. They basically have this sort of plug and play cloud-based communications platform for corporates and, and public sector companies. So it's, you know, it's got a thousand clients around the world. Like people like, uh, or places like Coca Cola, Disney sort of use it. But here in Australia, ANZ, Oz Super, Westpac. So basically, if you want to sort of send text messages or emails or WhatsApp messages, uh, either internally across your uh, organization or if you want to do that with your customers, it allows you to do that. And they've sort of built the tech from the ground up. It's, it's interesting in the sense that they've made no acquisitions, this is all sort of internally developed technology. And, uh, you know, this is, so previously this was all sort of, you'd sort of do it through your, um, uh, ERP system or, or whatever, you know, sort of a bespoke, bespoke system. And they've basically said, well, you can do it through us. And like the story here is so familiar, um, uh, incredible top line growth, you know, I've just been growing like the clappers when that, that was the, all the rage, um, but just bleeding cash. And a big part of them bleeding cash was they made a move in, into the US and it just hasn't really gotten that much traction. Shares have come back quite a ways as the markets focused more heavily on, on cash flow and profitability. 
So they made a strategic decision recently. He's like, we're going to pull out of the US. Well, not pull out, but we're going to sort of keep it on life support. We'll continue to service our clients there, but we're not going to, we're not going to spend anything more than we have to just to sort of keep the lights on over there. And that's going to take a lot of money out. The growth in Asia in the last half was 25%. It was, you know, they, they seem to be doing pretty well on all of that front. The question is, is can they, can you cut your costs so substantially and continue that? momentum. Jenny seems to think that they can. And and in fact, is it, I know the market's sort of demanding this, but we've sort of discussed it a lot before. It's like, you know, there are there are sometimes good reasons to spend money upfront when you know you're going to get a lot more down the track. And so like a lot of these SaaS models, you know, you have this upfront client acquisition cost. And then I think their LTV, their lifetime value is about 600K, right? So it sort of have this sort of dip and then this move into profitability. So that in fact, and we saw this with zero, the, the faster you grow, the more you bleed cash, but in a good way, right? It's just because you haven't tipped past that point yet. And eventually, and we saw this with zero, it starts, it starts, um, well, they did other things, but you know, at least in that, in, in that core division, that, that tends to be very, very favorable. So I'm not shilling for whisper. I don't own shares in it, but I'm just I'm sort of putting out where they what they do, where they are, what they're doing, and and how they're sort of planning to get back on track. So yeah, exit in the US seems like a pretty big deal. Like that that was a yeah. very big part of the growth story, and they're kind of giving up on it, I guess, for a while, right? Like at um, least for now, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they and they kind of have to, right? Because they just they. <laughs> What do you do? So the the founder CEO has got a lot of shares uh, in this. Um, Jenny basically said he doesn't want to do a capital raise because he's going to get diluted. So we're just going to pivot to focusing on on cash burn and uh, continue the momentum in our more established markets where we are getting good traction. Yeah. I think just on this momentum story, it's interesting. I, I feel like that that misses one thing, which is that the health revenue. So I think for, when you're talking about the growth, at the moment, it would be the non-health revenue, which I think was up slightly. Oh, that's the other thing. Yes. Yeah, like the actual revenue like versus the prior corresponding period, the overall revenue was down significantly because they say the health revenue from the Victoria Department of Health, Human Services, eHealth, New South Wales, and Queensland Health, that's all crashed. And that was, I think, all around a lot of the COVID messaging. So if you guys remember when there was like, if you went and got a PCR test, you know, there was a whole, you got maybe 10 text messages throughout the whole thing. If you were positive, at least it'd be like, you know, or you do your test, you're positive. Okay. Now you have to stay at home for two weeks. What's your address? You know, and this whole thing. And then at the end of 10 days or whatever it was, you know, you get a text message saying, oh, you're free to go around now. And so that all disappeared. But I feel like, yeah, I feel like the problem is now the why the share price is 30 cents down from like well over $3 is because when they did, I feel, I wonder how much um, the people who invested at the capital raising above $3, I wonder how much those funds kind of realized how much of the revenue was coming specifically from these yeah. services. You, I'm so glad you raised surely if yeah. I didn't know it at the time, I didn't realize there would be such a drop down on that, on that health rate. I knew there was some. Like the whole point of buying Wispier was that it directly benefited from this. Like that is the entire thesis was, you know, this is a beneficiary of this lockdown situation. But then, of course, that's the ben- you had to get out of the beneficiaries at some point, basically. Well, actually, I know I wasn't following it at the time. I'm still not following it that closely now. But I, I think if that is true, it's it's a failure of communication rather than anything wrong. So let me let me let me flesh it out a little bit. So these health departments were already existing clients. 
And the and way that just, I, I don't know that is true, by the way. I just it, yeah, you know, it makes you raise me, a good. Point. I personally didn't realize that what was going to happen, even though I did actually get out for not. If I would have got out faster, if I'd realized that was going to happen, let me say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they they were already clients, right? And then the way that they charge is that they there's an underlying subscription. And then there's a, they charge per message, basically. So there's a usage component to it. So on the subscription front, that's been growing really well. But then all of a sudden, some of your customers decided, well, had to send a lot more messages. So just, it was a huge spike. Now it was always one-off in nature or abnormal in nature. And again, I wasn't following it at the time and apologies for not being better prepared to sort of understand what the narrative was around that time. If management was saying, yes, this is going to last forever, then that's probably a a bit of a fail. I don't think they were, uh, credit where it's due. And And it's fallen back now because we're not all getting PCR tests. So imagine you guys own a business, right? Providing a service. And then all of a sudden a customer comes to you who just needs a lot more of, of your product slash service. And it's a one-off in nature. Do you say, no, thanks, because that's going to make the year-on-year comp in a year's time look really bad? Or do you take that money and bank it <laughs> and treat it, treat it for the one-off gift from heaven as it was? And I feel as though I feel as though sometimes the market can be a bit silly in this regard. We saw the same, actually. Ava Risk Group is a company we've talked about before. I think it was a good example of this as well. They had this wonderful, very high margin contract with the Ministry of Defense, just brought in a ton of cash. And once once that cycle's over, it's just like it's not longer there anymore. And people go, oh, revenue's falling this much. And I'm like, well, yeah. But there's sort of like the core underlying operations. And, and then every now and again, yeah. you just get this free kick. Do you not take the free yeah. kick i don't i don't think that makes any sense to me in ava group's defense like they did take it they were massively profitable they also spun off their business get paid a massive capital return or whatever and they still i i haven't looked at it for a while but from memory they still have cash right they're like they're okay it's i gotta be careful it's some. a significant holding of mine i'm pretty oh, okay. bullish on well, it so i don't want to i don't let's don't say without me having without having it. like prepared or whatever but yeah from all I was going to say is Wispier, it had it may have banked that free kick, but it banked it by you know then expanding to the US or whatever. So it kind of maybe what it did with that money wasn't optimum. Maybe they should have just been like, yeah, chuck it in the bank account, like kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, th- this is this is always the dilemma. I, I really, I know I'm sounding like an apologist here. I'm not. Again, no skin in the game. I'm just I'm just trying to put that other side of the argument. And it comes it for me. It just underscores again and again and again and again that the core competency of management is capital allocation. So they got this wonderful free kick. And what they did with that, what do you do? You can give that to shareholders or you can reinvest it. And you should reinvest it if you're pretty confident of getting a really great rate of return. Turns out that wasn't the case, at least over that period uh, in the US. So was that an error of judgment? Is that just the nature of business? I mean, in some ways you could argue, what's the bigger mistake here? Going into the US under reasonable expectations of getting some traction uh, and not finding it and yet blindly plugging ahead or getting out. And I, I think, again, all of us have yeah, run own businesses. Like, so you, you, you're sitting there in your, in your, your, at your desk and you think, I think this would be a really good idea. And, you know, it just doesn't work out a lot of the time. And so, you know, okay, we tried it. The, the real mistake is, is, is putting your head in the stand and, and, and 
and barreling ahead. So I actually I'm much more I'm much more forgiving of companies if they try something and it's if it's a reasonable expectation and it doesn't work out I just think anyone who's run a business knows that that's 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 just how it goes again and again for every business right Microsoft and Google and goodness knows what other Amazon have all made like reckless stupid dumb investments and that's kind of cool you just don't know what's going to work before you try it but so I'm 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 not and again, I'm I'm coming at this until we did the the interview. I hadn't really looked at it closely, and even then, I just did a bit of prep on it. But I'm more. I think the market can be so cynical with some of this stuff, and and it's just sort of like, oh, you did this and it didn't work, and and you're scammers, and you're you know, and it's just, it just gets, whoa, it gets way out of hand here. And it's like, hey, run a business and see how you go, right? Like this is this is par for the course. And I struggle to think of any business that that hasn't made malinvestment in the in in the past and uh, the bigger mistake again just to sort of flog the dead horse here is 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 barreling ahead so at least at least at least for me to chuck in a bull point there i just wanted to say you know the i think the bull point here is the outlook from their results says whisper enters the second half of fy223 with no debt and cash on hand of 9.4 million with a further 1.6 million restricted cash heading to free cash flow break even result for q4 following a significant reduction in the cost base now I'm on the record of being of the view that I think they will. I, I thought they would read like a while ago when I looked at her. I thought they would need to raise capital, and that may not be the case. They're saying not. So yeah, she. I did ask that directly. I asked that directly. Yeah. And they, they, so good she's, on them. If they get there and like they do it, then that could be a great achievement. And I'm sure that you know that could be the good, the first sign of a turnaround. Yeah, it could be. And again, I don't. I don't want to. I'm. I think it's important when we talk about companies, we try and present both sides. So please don't at me on Twitter in six months' time saying, "Oh, you were really bullish on me." No, I'm not. Yeah. I'm just trying to lay out the scenario for you. Interesting idea, though. Anyway, like at some point, you know, some of these ones that have had a tough time over the last two years, some of them are going to survive, and and the rebound potential is there. Yeah, so survival. Survival is, is is paramount right and and this is this is why this creative destruction idea can be wonderful for for business i mean look at let's go full circle here so during this bank banking crisis apparently like this abnormally high amount of private air travel flew into omaha right and and you could imagine uncle warren's phone ringing hot over the weekend it's like we need hey you've got however many hundred billion dollars there and if in times of stress your business will suffer but if you can endure what you tend to find is all your competitors or a lot of them fall by the wayside you're able to you're able to pick up absolute bargains and when the cycle eventually turns whenever that happens to be you emerge with much more clear water fewer competition and you've actually acquired a bunch of assets at bargain basement prices. I think, I think it's a wonderful thing to do. If I was a business and we're not in the situation where I've got $100 million in the balance sheet, I think this is the time to be aggressive. Most businesses are aggressive at the top of the cycle. Oh, look, all this free money. Let's buy this and let's buy this and that's okay. We'll pay, we'll pay 10 times sales and we'll do this at all. It's madness, you know, but, but when, when opportunity comes, you know, this is the time, right? Like you, you, you can, you've got enough money to cover your expenses. You've got enough money, even with a depressed, uh, uh, depressed earnings and the rest of it to endure. And I would argue that that's the time to be aggressive. And unfortunately it's, it's, it's rare, but when you look at some of the real 
massive success stories over time in, in equity markets. It's it's those companies that 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 act against the crowd that I think uh, show a real sign of foresight and and sensible capital allocation. Yeah, I love that. That's a strong closing thing. Reminds me of was it Buffett's that you make all your money on bear markets, you just don't realize it at the time. Like yep. anyway, hundred percent. Who that quote? Hundred percent. I think good 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 thing to keep focusing on, Andrew. As you say, like the, the kind of there's some coiled springs out there, and our job's just to try and find them. So hundred like percent. We covered a lot of ground today, gents. I thought it was a really good chat. Good to be back chatting about news. I'm sure there'll be plenty more news over the next week. Until next time, anyone, you can find us on Twitter at Baby Giants Pod. And yeah, otherwise, tell your friends. <laughs> Hit us up. Keep listening. And we'll chat to see you again. Have a nice week. day. Have a nice day. That's a good place. Lovely. Thanks, Cheers. Cheers.